Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And please excuse me a little if I reminisce, because there was some very sad news over the weekend, the passing of Michael John Proctor, one of South Africa's finest all-round cricketing talents. He had an operation a week or so ago, and unfortunately had a cardiac arrest uh, during that operation and passed away over the weekend at the age of 77. How do I start? Well, I can start by saying that as a kid, I used to watch him, uh, idolize him and and the great late Eddie Barlow, um, who were my two heroes. And I was very fortunate to work with both of them in my career when I started as a broadcaster and a commentator and actually went to Australia and New Zealand with my proctor in the 1992 South African cricket team that went to the first World Cup. And that was when I learned what a wonderful gentleman he actually was. I mean, you always know cricketers and you see them on the field and you, you idolize them as players, but you don't ever really get a chance to meet them if you're just the average bloke that sits in the stand and watches them. Um, I remember his... Fiery, fast bowling. I remember his flamboyant batting. And then, then of course, when he started with his knee injuries, due to the fact that he bowled off the wrong leg or the wrong foot, depends how you look at it, he then decided, well, he could spin bowl as well and did that exceptionally well too. Unfortunately, an international career that was cut short by apartheid, like the other greats of the era, Grand Pollock and Eddie Barlow and Barry Richards, Vincent van der Baal and Hilton Ackerman, uh, names that are synonymous with that period of time. And then when I when I schooled in my last couple of years in Durban, in the Tell, it was the end of Procky's career, I used to go and watch him at Kingsmead and had one opportunity, which I'll never forget. I didn't even realise I was playing against him until he actually appeared on the field in a, in a club game. I was playing for the Natal Defence Force team. But as I say, when I got the opportunity to spend some time with the great man um, and actually sit down and just chat to him, all of the cricketing glory that he had from the days at Gloucestershire, which became Proctorshire, from his World Series cricket, from his Natal, Rhodesia, all of the other, just paled into insignificance as to what an absolute gentleman he was. And I remember coming back from the Australasia tour and a couple of years later bumped into him. He'd obviously gone on to do other things. He'd become a match referee. And I'd moved along from the television station that I was with when I was broadcasting the Cricket World Cup onto another form of media. And he just welcomed me with open arms and it wasn't something that was false at all. It was just absolutely amazing. So... Really, really sad news um, of his passing. Uh, as I say, seven test matches for South Africa was very instrumental in South Africa's readmittance into international cricket post to isolation. He was, in his heyday, famously in that South African team that thrashed Australia 4 0 in 1970. And upon returning in 1991, led South African side as the coach took us to the semi-finals of the World Cup in Australia. He was also on the International Cricket Council panel of match referees and served as a South African convener of selectors. He played 401 first-class games. He scored 21,936 runs at an average of 36. He scored 48 hundreds and 109 50s. Also took... 1,417 wickets, an average of 19.53, a career 
that's, well, just the statistics tell you how magnificent he was as a cricketer. And I was always wondered, you know, players of years gone by, the likes of Barry Richards, Graham Pollock, Clive Rice, Garth LaRue, all of these names that I grew up watching and then luckily enough spent some time with some of them, but all of them. Which one of them would have been the best in terms of the game today? And I think undoubtedly Mike Proctor would have been. Um, I think T20 cricket would have benefited from his brilliance and his execution of batting, bowling, and simply just the way he played the game, the way he thought about the game, the way he led teams, the way he led men. I mean, the fact that he played for 11, 12 seasons uh, for Gloucestershire and they renamed the club Proctorshire is something quite amazing. And tributes have been pouring in from all over the world, as you can imagine, from greats of the game. And condolences to his wife and three children. And may his dear soul rest in peace. Thank you for the memories, Mike Proctor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right, let's move on to a sporting weekend, which uh, I'm sure if you are a, a rugby fan, you're either happy or sad this morning, the way your team performed. And I'm, of course, talking about the local teams in South Africa. There could only be two winners in the four match, four games, four teams matches that were played over the weekend. And uh, let me start by giving you the results of those matches in the United Rugby Championship. So very interesting, interesting results and interesting matches over the weekend. Let's start with the uh, match yesterday afternoon. A very close encounter between Ospreys and Ulster. Ulster losing by two points. Ospreys at home winning 19-17. Saturday, the Glasgow Warriors beat the Dragons by 40 points to seven. Magnificent performance by them. Connaught and Cardiff, well, it was a close encounter. Cardiff losing at home 12 points to 16. Connaught having a good season. We'll get to the Shark Stormers game in a moment. Leinster 47, Benetton 18, good win for Leinster. And uh, then the Bulls against the Lions. The Bulls 25, Lions 10. Very good win for the Bulls away from home. Zebras 19, Edinburgh 24, and 42 points to 7 win for Munster over Clinetley on Friday evening. Let's uh, go back to the local matches. Uh, the Bulls against the Lions. It was pretty close until half-time, and then after half-time, it was just a try-fest for the Bulls. Uh, they scored three tries in the second half and were by far the better team, played some very good rugby in a mildly capacity, no, not capacity, mildly uh, sprinkling of fans. Better than previously, I must say. Um, in fact, one section of the ground looked like the fans had thought they'd come to a soccer game, but that's besides the point. They were there, they were watching, and it was great to see that there was more than just my usual story of the policeman and a couple of dogs and an ice cream seller. It was hot, there was lots of ice cream sold, I'm sure, and there was lots of brown ale sold as well, and cold mix, I guess. But it was uh, good to see. Unfortunately for the Lions, though, disappointing. I thought they would be better than that, and the Bulls, far too good for them, running out 25 points to 10 victors. Now, on the other hand, and I know the whole stadium wasn't necessarily open in terms of spectators, the top section of the grandstands were there for huge advertising boards. I suppose you've got to make your money somehow. If you can't 
to sell tickets, sell the advertising on the seats. And uh, it was the Stormers against the Sharks. What a good game. That was well-supported. Sharks fans in their thousands at the game at uh, King's Park in Derbs. And uh, a 25-21 victory for the Stormers. It was close. It wasn't as close necessarily as to what the scoreline reflects because the Stormers were well in control right until the end when they scored third tries in the 75th minute, rather, the third try scored by the Sharks, which did bring them to within a couple of points of the Stormers. But by that stage, the Stormers had controlled the game exceptionally well. And uh, it's a great run for the Stormers with regards to their performances in Durban. The Sharks, although, keep fighting back. And Pongi Mbanambi, who scored just under four minutes of time, made the last few minutes nervy for the Stormers supporters, myself included, I must add. But in truth, the Sharks managed to score that try. They would have clinched it. You could have called it daylight robbery if they had. They didn't. Not that ever looked likely to happen. The Stormers are really good at late game management. It's one of the reasons they so often get across the line in games where the margins are so fine. And they did exceptionally well. This time, they did give away a penalty with a minute to go. They gave the Sharks one final roll of the dice. But the Sharks didn't help themselves. And they threw the ball into the lineup, and the Stormers won the ball in the lineup against the throw. Now, based on the dominance of the first half, the only surprise was the visitors never picked up a bonus point, which is a little disappointing if you like. But great performance, great to see Bongio Banami back on the field, albeit with a massive knee brace. And some of the players, Joseph Dwebe, Paul Devet, and Ben Loder, scoring from the Stormers. Sasha Feinberg, Ngoma Zulu got two conversions and a couple of penalties. The Ox scored a magnificent try, so did James Fenter and Bonke, Kerwin Bosch, and Sia Masuga, the converters of the tries. So, good day for the Stormers away from home against the Sharks. They'll do it all again in a couple of weeks' time. Now, the two local derbies, there was some confirmation of things that weren't so positive, but as the amount of work to losing teams still have to do if they want to join the Bulls and the Stormers and challenging silverware very much apparent. John Plumtree apparently had gone home for a couple of weeks, spent some time with his family, came back and don't know what he's going to do about this uh, side of his. I know there are a couple of injuries inside, but that's in a big franchise like uh, the uh, Sharks. He should be able to put some string of results together. Let's just look at the logs now after the weekend of United Rugby Championship action. And Leinster, top of the pile, 39 points. Everybody's played 10 games now. Glasgow Warriors, second with 36 points. The Bulls, 35 points from their 10 games. Picked up a bonus point for the weekend at the Bulls. Benetton, 10 matches played in fourth place with 32 points. Then it's Edinburgh on 30, along with the Stormers, also on 30. And then Ospreys, 29, 29 to Ulster. Munster, 29, 28 to Connell. So as you can see, in the top 10, very, very close indeed. The Lions are down in 11th place with 24 points at rock bottom. Don't know what. They've got a point, obviously, for being less than seven points behind the Storms at the weekend. But the poor Sharks are just not having it their own way. They really, really, really are struggling. And they are rock bottom of the log, although they are there now with the Dragons. The Dragons, a minus 197 points difference, which is massive. Compared to the Sharks, only minus 37, but uh, the Sharks, unfortunately, bottom of the table by virtue of the fact that they've only won one game. So what do the fixtures look like? There's still a couple of 
matches to go before the table will really start uh, taking shape. As I say, anybody in the top 10 can still finish right up there. No action again this weekend coming up because of the Six Nations. But then next week, as in 10 days, 12 days time from now, 1st of March, Edinburgh play Osprey and Munster play Zebras. Then on the Saturday, it's uh, the Lions against the Sharks, another local derby. The Benetton play Glasgow. The Bulls host the Stormers. That will be a massive clash, and Loftus Vassal should be packed to capacity for that game. I hope it is. Uh, Connacht against Lenethley, and that's also in the afternoon for like seven and then two evening games. Cardiff play Leinster, and Ulster play the Dragons, and then no matches on Sunday. Uh, remember, of course, that they keep having a break to the United Rugby Championship while the Six Nations is on, which means this weekend's Six Nations fixtures. On Saturday, sees Ireland against Wales, Scotland against England, and Kolkata Cup will be battled for between these two sides, and then Sunday, France against Italy. But let's move on to cricket now, shall we? And it was a magnificent victory for India. What a game of changing fortunes on each day. And England will rue the opportunities that they had, and they will rue even more certain sessions in which they completely lost the plot against India. Jaiswal hits an unbeaten double century to help India to their biggest ever win, crushing England by 434 runs in the third test to take a 2-1 lead in the series. England were chasing 557 for victory, and uh, their batsmen fell like a pack of cards with the loss of eight wickets in the final session dismissed for just 122 yesterday on day four in Rajkot's Ravindra Jadeja got Mark Wood out for 33. He was the last man out. He got those 33 of, I don't know, 10 or 12 deliveries. So you can imagine what the England score like would have been like if Mark Wood hadn't bashed it about like, it was, like he was at a T20. It was also his fifth wicket. But what a performance by the Indians. And when I say what a performance, let's just take you through the way the game went. At one stage, on day one, India were in real trouble. Um, they'd lost their first three wickets for just 33. And then a 204-run partnership put them back in the game where England let them off the hook. Rohit Sharma getting 131, along with uh, Ravindra Jadeja, who got 112. And the two of them put on a magnificent partnership. And what was so good about the partnership was it was genuine test cricket. I mean, 196 balls for Sharma's 131. 225 balls for Jadeja's 112. And then when uh, Sarafaz Khan came in, he had freedom to have a go. He had 62 of 66 deliveries. Uh, Jurel got 46 of 104. Everybody got runs all the way down to the end. And uh, in magnificent performance, the Indians uh, ended up on 445 in their first innings. England then came to bat and were going along quite Brilliantly, um, Zach Crawley got out early, but Ben Duck had got 153, Ollie Pope 39, and then England absolutely collapsed. I mean, they were 89 for one, 182 for two, and 224 for three. And you thought at that stage, well, they could go on and get uh, 400 like their Indian counterparts did. But they went from 224 for three to 319 all out. They just wickets just kept falling regularly. And they only faced 71 overs in the game. And that really was where the game turned big time. 
And then and they just couldn't get wickets. They got Rohit Sharma out early for 19 in the Indian second innings. And then Jaiswal and uh, Subman Gill, who got 91 of 151, and uh, Jaiswal, 214 of 236, completely took the game away from England, set them a mammoth target. And as I say, England's second innings capitulated. They just could not get uh, going. They just kept losing wickets at regular intervals, and they lost by 438. Tremendous performance um, by India. That's 2-1. Is baseball cricket working? Well, Ben Stokes says they'll play in the same brand of cricket when they go out next time in the fourth test. So the other cricket results of the weekend locally in the Cricket South Africa four-day series, the Limpopo Impalas against the Northern Cape Heat. The Northern Cape Heat winning by five wickets. The Eastern Storm against the Eastern Cape in Yachties. The in Yachties won by four wickets. The Garden Root Badgers, they won by three wickets against the Mpumalanga Rhinos. Sri Lanka won by four runs against Afghanistan in a T20 International. And then on the other matches, the Cricket South Africa four-day series that ended at the weekend in the higher division, the Lions and the Rocks drew that game, as did the Tuskers and the Titans. The Dolphins beat the Dragons by 10 wickets, scoring a mammoth 643 for 8 in their first innings, did the Dolphins. And uh, that is thanks to 191 from Bryce Parsons and 156 from John John Smuts. That is a really good performance by the Dolphins. And then the fourth and other result of the weekend was the Western Province beating the Warriors in a low-scoring game by 64 runs. So that was uh, the weekend action in the uh, Test match. I mentioned England being basically hammered by 434 runs, and unfortunately South Africa as well, both the men's and women's teams uh, got uh, hiding, let's be honest, in Australia and New Zealand. The South African women were bowled up to 76 in their first innings, to which Australia's women replied with 575 for nine declared, and then bowled South Africa for 215 to win by an innings and 284 runs. That's a massive result. And then the South African men's team in New Zealand, you see the one by seven wickets there. New Zealand 211 at 269 for three, South Africa 242, and then 235 all out. Let's have a look at the uh, upcoming fixtures as far as cricket is concerned this week, shall we? Um, this afternoon, there was a game between Sri Lanka and Afghanistan that's still currently on. Then Wednesday, it's the first of the T20 internationals between New Zealand and Australia. Sri Lanka and Afghanistan play their third T20 international. And then from the 21st, it's uh, the Tuskers against the, the Warriors, the Rocks against the Dragons. This is all four-day matches. The Titans play the Lions and Western Province play Dolphins, uh, lots of cricket action. And then the fourth test match between England and India, that will take place from the 23rd to the 27th of February. Right, let's just uh, briefly have a look at some other golfing news. Hideki Matsuyama shoots a 62 and uh, goes on to victory in the USPGA Tour. 
One shy of tying the record at the Riviera Country Club, he overtook the whole field to win the Genesis Invitational by three strokes in Pacific Palisades in California. The Japanese pro began the day six shots off to Cantlay's lead, but he flew up the leaderboard with three birdies, one to three, ten to twelve, and fifteen to seventeen, and entered the club at seventeen under par. And no one from the back of remaining contenders could catch up with him at all. He has not won on tour since January 2022 and it slipped to number 55 in the official world rankings. The 2021 Masters remains the crowning achievement. But by winning the third event of the season, he picked up a mere $4 million payday and 700 FedEx points. So very good indeed for Hideki Matsuyama. 62 in the final round. I think anybody who shoots that deserves to walk away with the victory. Now, the uh, tournament uh, back home, the Dimension Data Ladies Pro-Am title that went to the lady who won. Kylie Henry kept her best round on track at Fancourt yesterday. She was two strokes off the lead at the start of the final round, but the other leading contender slotted along the way. Even though the lady from Stockton went out in one over par 37, a string of six successive pars in the back, nine saw her claim a share of the lead, Anna Dawson, who had led both the first and second rounds. And then as the pressure moved, Dawson missed crucial putts and reproduced the key birdies on the par for 16th and 18th holes to go away with victory. Well done to her. Beautiful, beautiful golf course. And I saw some of the pictures from Van Court at the weekend. Absolutely un. Believable. Okay, what else uh, is uh, on the golf world? Well, uh, Stephen Ames was declared the winner of the Chubb Classic after the PGA Tour champion shortened the event to 36 holes because of inclement weather in Florida. The Canadian shot 13 in the bar, 131 through two rounds thanks to a 64 on Saturday, three shots ahead of Rocco Mediates. Okay, tennis news for you now. Let's uh, have a look at the results from the weekend. And Yannick Sinner at it again. The Australian Open champion won his first Rotterdam Open title, breaking down a determined effort from the Australian Alex de Mignot to win 7-5-6-4 in a high-quality battle. The win extended the Italian top seed's unbeaten streak to 15 now, including his run to glory in Melbourne and takes him to a career-high third in the world on the ATP rankings. And he's on his way to get you, Novak. He's still going to have a little bit of fun there. Now, Irena Sabalenka, on her way to world number one again, the world number two at the moment, so she's addicted to winning and hungry for more major glory. After her successful defence at the Australian Open last month, the Belarusian returns to action in Dubai to contest her first tournament since the Grandstand Triumph Melbourne Park. The ladies are in the United Arab Emirates at the moment. And Carlos Alcaraz uh, slumped to a shock Buenos Aires semi-final defeat as well. So that, uh, of course, opened the door for Sinner to move closer to Djokovic and Alcaraz at the top of the tennis tree. Right, last but not least, let's have a look at the football action from the weekend and the Premier League action in the Premier League was fast and furious, as it always is. Lots of games, lots of goals, shall we start on the weekend? On Saturday, it was Brentford 1, Liverpool 4. Very good result again for Liverpool. Four-goal thriller between Newcastle and Bournemouth, two apiece. 
Nottingham Forest will be delighted with their victory over West Ham, particularly because the other results went in their favour as well. And another one tonight, when Everton are in action, could also go in their favour. Forest 2, West Ham 0. Burnley were on the receiving end of a thumping from Arsenal 5 0. Spurs 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Fulham 1, Aston Villa 2, and Manchester City and Chelsea. What a great game of football that was. Absolutely unbelievable game of football that was. Ended up 1 all, and Chelsea played some superb football, but Manchester City were like an absolute juggernaut towards the end of that game, came back to score, and then could have even won it. And then yesterday, Sheffield United nil Brighton and Ove Albion 5. Brighton really giving them a Serious hammering and Luton won Manchester United two Manchester United Cleveland like yesterday thirty seven seconds went into the deep fastest goal they've ever scored in the Premier League. And then they scored again within ten minutes they were two 0 up. And then for the last half an hour of the game they were hanging on by the skin of their teeth to eventually win by two goals to one against Luton. So what does that tell us? The table looks like this. It's getting closer and closer at the top. Liverpool, 57 points from their 25 games. Arsenal, 55 points from their 25 games. And then 53 points. Manchester City dropping points at the weekend. They have a game in hand, which will, they win it, take them to within a point of Liverpool at the top of the table. They don't play this weekend, of course, to Liverpool. They're in the uh, final of the charity shield. Bottom of the table, Sheffield United and Burnley rock bottom with 13 points apiece. Everton 19, Luton 20, Crystal Palace who play Everton tonight 24 points. Massive, massive game that is. Not only for all the teams below Crystal Palace, but also for the teams above Crystal Palace. Nottingham Forest 24 points as well. With uh, Having played a game more than Palace who play tonight, as I say Brentford, 25 points. Bournemouth and Fulham, 28-29. respectively. Yeah, looks as like they will be safe this season. It's a long way to go, Storm. That is tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Hope you've enjoyed it. Be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now.